Paranormal Investigations Hawaii. From the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator. Season 1, Episode 1, The Demon of 8th Avenue. Investigator is that obake or ghosts only come out at night. That really screws up my sleep, which makes me cranky. And when I'm cranky, I like to spread the wealth to everyone else around me. I'm generous that way. Tonight's call came in at 11:24 p.m., just as I was finishing up my weekly classic TV binge watch. This week was Firefly. I know, I know. Joss Whedon's supposed to be one dick and deserves to be cancelled. But you know, he made these before we knew he was one dick, so it's okay to watch them. I don't watch anything he did post-dick. I didn't recognize the caller ID and was about to let it go to voicemail, but something told me to answer it. Call it PI intuition or call it being broke. I answered the call. It was Dawahine from the mortgage office in my building who I took on as a client last week. Her name was Kehau Mitchell. She sounded hysterical. Well, more so than usual for one local Wahine. She said her cat was missing. I tried to calm her. I told her, hey, there's street cats all over my neighborhood. I can grab one for you. For some reason, she cried even harder. She engaged my services on Wednesday last week when she caught me in the lobby of our building. She was one of those women you don't really notice at first. Not unattractive, but kind of plain looking, wearing cheap clothes from Ross's. She never went make much of an impression. I only noticed her because she approached me with the most intensely scared look I've ever seen. She asked for a consultation and presented me with one of my coupons for a free 10-minute session that I had left lying around the building lobby. I was headed to my favorite watering hole for Pahana but couldn't turn down the first person to ever use one of my coupons, especially during the slow time of the year. Funny how it gets busier as it gets closer to Halloween. Either the ghosts or people's imaginations become more active. I'm not sure which yet. We went to the Starbucks around the corner, and she told me her story. Kehau moved into a house on the corner of 8th Avenue and Harding with her six-year-old son, Kavika, two months ago. She was a single mother, just trying to keep her head above water, working as a secretary at a mortgage company. She found the house in a Craigslist rental listing. She contacted the owner by email and was offered the lease right away. She agreed to the lease without first checking out the house because the rent was way below market value and she wanted to snatch it up before someone else did. Besides, the house was in an older neighborhood that was considered safe and child-friendly. The lease was signed electronically and the deposit and rent were paid by Venmo. She had no other contact with the owner. After she moved in, she started noticing things were a little bit off. 
The house was older and clean, but there was a smell she just could not pinpoint. A smell like too much bleach was used to clean the floor, which had left a permanent hospital-like antiseptic odor behind. Then came the noises. Every night after midnight, she was awoken by noises coming from the kitchen. Noises that sounded like cabinets opening and closing, plates being moved across the kitchen table, a creaking sound as if someone were walking across the old wooden floor. At first, she thought it might be rats. One night, after hearing a particularly loud scraping sound, she got up and went to investigate. She approached the kitchen slowly. She saw through the open door before she reached it. She wasn't sure, but in the dark, she thought she saw what looked like a child playing with something on the floor. The child's back was to her, so she couldn't see exactly what he was doing. Did one of the neighbor's kids sneak into her house at night, she thought. As she reached the kitchen, she turned on the light. The child disappeared. At the spot where she thought she saw the child, there was a small object that was still moving. She jumped back in horror when she saw that it was a mouse that was nearly torn in half. It looked like it had been chewed on with flesh and blood all over the floor. She ran to Kabika's room, grabbed him and retreated back to her bedroom and stayed in there with the doors locked until morning. That was three days ago. Since then, they kept themselves locked in her bedroom every night, only daring to venture out in the morning to get ready for work and school and to feed their cat, Cinnamon. But this morning, Cinnamon was nowhere to be found. K-House searched every nook and cranny where Cinnamon usually slept, but could find no sign of her. K-House left for work as usual and dropped off Kavike at school. They returned in the late evening and started their routine to eat dinner quickly and hide in her bedroom for the night. Usually they fed Cinnamon at the same time, but after a whole day, the cat was still nowhere to be found. Kehau was now concerned. The cat was a fat tabby who never missed a meal. When evening turned to night and Cinnamon still had not shown up, that's when Kehau called me in a panic. I agreed to take on her case, and this was as good a time as any to get started. I let her know I'd be right over. After I first agreed to take the case, I did some research to see what I was getting myself into. When I left HPD, I was shunned by my brothers in blue. They saw weird cases all the time, but always tried to justify it in their minds as something they could live with so they could not understand why I didn't go with the flow when I left. I just couldn't whitewash my report and leave out the most important parts of the investigation, even if those parts defied science and logic, especially when the disappearance of a child was involved. The only person who still kept contact with me was the desk sergeant, Sergeant James Saito. He was a grizzled old-timer, as grizzled as they come, and he didn't care what anybody taught. 
Saito dug up the file records relating to the 8th Avenue house for me. The records showed a history of paranormal activity dating back almost 80 years. In the 1940s, HBD were called by a woman who reported something was trying to kill her children. When they arrived, they saw that her children were being attacked by an unseen presence. They tried to stop the attack but were beaten back by the entity. They retreated with the family and left the house to be cleansed by Kahuna, who described the supernatural entity as a Kasha, a Japanese demon who feeds on the dead. It was reported that the Kahuna successfully repelled the Kasha by bringing in an urn of ashes of a recently deceased person, which the Kasha fed on. After this, there was no more activity for 30 years. In the 1970s, three girls who moved into the same 8th Avenue house heard noises and then were attacked by an unseen force. They called HPD who came to investigate and witnessed this force attacking one of the girls as she was attempting to escape in her car. They took the girl to their patrol car which then would not stop. They went back to the girl's car and got it started while the force attacked them. They barely managed to escape. There had been no more reported activity since then. Until now. Armed with this information, I arrived at Kehau's house around midnight. From the outside, the house looked beaten and run down. Strips of paint had fallen off which left random patches of bare wood as if it were marks of disease and decay. I entered through the front door. Kehau left it unlocked for me. The house was lit by one small lamp in the living room which left the rest of the house in shadows. I knew imagination could play tricks on you, but so could spirits and demons. I closed the door behind me and started towards the bedroom. I immediately noticed a smell of sulfur coming from the kitchen, a smell as if eggs were left to rot for days. I approached the kitchen and saw what I thought was movement through the door but I wasn't sure if it was just the flickering of light and shadows. I entered the kitchen and my sense of dread lit up like a neon sign on the Vegas Strip as I saw the shape of what looked like the back of a boy kneeling down in the middle of the kitchen floor. His attention seemed to be focused on something in front of him. He was ripping or tearing something. There was a sickening chewing sound and a pilau smell coming from whatever it was. I had a strong desire to just run from there. I didn't want to see what this was, but I never abandoned a client, no matter what the circumstances were. And besides, there was a bigger picture here that I needed answers to. I turned on the kitchen light, and the boy disappeared as a shadow would when exposed to light. What was left was a horror beyond imagination. It was the remains of Cinnamon, Kehau's cat, torn in pieces as if she had been eaten alive. But that was not the worst part. The worst part was those pieces were still moving. 
I ran quickly out of the kitchen and found my way to the master bedroom. I knocked on the door to let Kehau know it was me. She opened the door slowly, peeking through the gap to make sure a demon hadn't stolen my good looks to pose as me. She held a hairbrush behind her as a weapon, just in case. With what I just went through, I could probably use a good brushing to get my hair to stop standing on end. She let me in the bedroom and locked the door. Her son Kavika was asleep on the bed. I told her we needed to leave now. I could see the fear in her eyes as she nodded and began to pack a small bag of essentials. She didn't ask about cinnamon, and I didn't feel it was necessary to tell her what happened. She finished packing and woke up Kavika. The boy was tired but seemed to know the gravity of the situation. He got up without complaining and held on to Kehau's hand while I led them out of the bedroom and down the hallway, careful to avoid the kitchen. As we made our way towards the front door, the kitchen light that I had left on suddenly went dark. The sound of heavy breathing came from the darkness. I dared to glance back and saw a large shadow beyond the kitchen door. It seemed to grow in size as I stared at it. I barely managed to stifle a scream from the back of my throat as I rushed Kehau and Kavika out the front door and into my car. We got the hell out of there just in time. I had a feeling hell would still be waiting for us when we returned. We arrived at my office in record time. No traffic and fear of demons following you made for one efficient commute. My office was not much to look at. The rent was cheap for a reason, but it was safe and it was home. I learned over the course of my 10 years as a PI that there are objects, tokens, or rituals that are supposed to keep bad spirits away and that most of these are BS. I've tried everything, garlic, crosses, herbs, horseshoes, dream catchers, grease grease, salt. I still get visited by unwanted presences from time to time, so I've learned to spot the signs of visitation and prepare for one quick getaway when needed. For any other unwanted visitors, I find that carrying a Glock wards against them just fine. There are three rooms in my office, an outer lobby waiting area, a restroom with a shower, and my main office where my desk, computer, and files are located. I made the lobby area my bedroom. The couch became a rollout bed at night. I pulled the bed out for Kehau and Kavika. They were still scared, but I think they was mostly tired at this point. They left their bags on the floor, lay on the bed, and both fell asleep right away. I didn't realize how tired I was until I was sure my clients were safe and now it seemed like the events of the night fell on me like one ton of bricks. I retreated to my inner office, shut the door, pulled out my beach mat and promptly fell asleep on top of it. I woke up the next morning with the biggest headache, nothing that a couple of aspirins couldn't solve. I kept seeing dead cats in my dreams which woke me up several times. I heard movement from Kehau throughout the night, so I suppose she had a restless night too. I realized I needed some help on this one. The typical cases I handled involve more benign hauntings, spirits, 
poltergeists, etc. Usually a little bit of coercion along with some holy water took care of them, but this one was different. We're dealing with a malevolent demon of questionable origin who has demonstrated a hunger to kill and feed on the living. Now that it has tasted blood, it will continue feeding unless it was stopped. I needed some advice from Kahuna Bob. He's one old acquaintance who teaches Hawaiian history at the local community college. He hates it when I call him Kahuna Bob, but I thought that name had a nice ring to it. I got ready to head out. I greeted Kehau in the outer office and gave her a set of keys. I reassured her that they could stay here until the entity had been taken care of, one way or another. She thanked me as I left the office, and the look of genuine relief in her eyes was gratifying to see. I grabbed an iced vanilla coffee at the Mickey D's drive-thru and crawled through Honolulu morning rush hour traffic, headed to HCC, Honolulu Community College, to see Kahuna Bob. Real name, Robert K. Ahuna. Like I said, he was one old acquaintance of mine and helped consult on a few cases I had in the past. He was one colorful character, Hawaiian Portuguese and a former Catholic priest. He left the church under questionable circumstance, which I was not about to ask about, unless he offered, and he's never offered. He taught Hawaiian history at HCC. His subject matter and style of teaching made him one of the most popular lecturers there. If anyone could shed more light into this demon, I'm betting Kahuna Bob was my man. And while Bob is usually helpful, he can also be one pain in the okole. That's why I usually try to bring him one bribe, his favorite, while Ola shave ice. Unfortunately, I just don't have the time this morning. So, gotta hope for the best. What you have there is a mother effing kasha, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm never mistaken. Hey, Bob, no be too modest, eh? Tell me what you think. These are demon spirits that hitched a ride when the Japanese immigrated to Hawaii in the late 1800s. Nasty pieces of feces they are. They feed on the recent dead. The fresher, the better. Many immigrants didn't survive the trip over here, which provided a feast for the Kasha. If what you're telling me is true, then this particular POS is desperate and hungry enough to start killing for food. It'll start with something easy, like small animals, but once its appetite for live flesh has been triggered, it will need more and more fresh meat to satisfy its appetite. It will not hesitate to stalk, kill, and consume anything in its area of comfort. It will even venture away from its home area to hunt if it doesn't find the food it needs. Hey, Bob. Will it still feed on the dead if it can't find any live food and gets desperate? Well, think about it this way. Do you eat fast food just because it's quick and easy to obtain instead of cooking something healthy? Hey, brother, all I eat is fast food. I rest my case. Okay, Bob, you can turn down the smugness by a few notches. So the answer is most likely yes, Akasha, if it's not able to feed on live meat in the next few days, will resort to eating dead meat until it can find live meat again. 
What is your point? The point is that if I can lure it with some dead meat, then I can capture it and kill it. Does that make sense? How are you going to kill something that's already dead? Hey, that's why I'm here. I'm open to ideas. Now, if you got one better suggestion, I'm all ears. Japanese demons can't be killed, but they can be banished back to the underworld. If this kasha is like other Japanese demons, then you need to perform the mamimake ritual, the scattering of beans. Mamma mia, what? What kind of beans we talking about here? Do baked beans count? I just got some on sale from Time Supermarket. No, you lolo. It has to be soybeans or some product made from soybeans like soy milk, tofu, soy sauce, edamame, etc. Oh, great. I'll just invite it over for poo-poos. Bob gave me the stink eye. I was pushing my luck, so I backed off. Okay, Bob. Mahalo. Now, can you send me a text message with that list when I go shopping so I know what to get? I don't text. Just write it down. Now, follow these instructions exactly if you want to banish the Kasha demon and save your client's life and maybe your own. I took notes as Kahuna Bob gave me the details of how to banish the Kasha. I wasn't sure this plan was going to work, but hey, I trusted Bob and I didn't have any better ideas. First, I needed a fresh corpse to lure out the Kasha. I didn't think the Honolulu morgue would lend me one, so I improvised. I hoped that the Kasha still had an appetite for dead animal flesh, so I stopped by the Humane Society. You've heard of no-kill shelters, right? Well, the HHS were the opposite. They'll kill anything that isn't a cute puppy or kitten adopted within days. So there's always a fresh batch of dead animals available. I found my way to the back where they kept a large dumpster of animal carcasses before sending them through to the incinerator. I broke the lock and opened it. I prepared myself beforehand by bringing latex gloves and wearing my old swimming nose plugs, but the smell was still overwhelming. I'm not ashamed to say, I threw up in my mouth a little. Well, okay, a lot. And it leaked out from my mouth a little. Well, okay, a lot. Okay, I projectile vomited all over the dead animals. My eyes started to water as I reached in and grabbed the closest animal, a small dog. It felt not much different than a small live dog, except for being limp and lifeless. Listen, dog, I'm sure you were a good dog in your life and your owner loved you, but you're going to be a gooder dog now by helping me prevent more killings. I gave the dog a quick pet on the head as I put it in a plastic bag and carried it to the trunk of my car. For no reason at all, I decided to name the dog Buster. I headed for Marukai Mart, the closest Asian supermarket, to grab some soybeans. They had a bunch of soy products. The one that caught my eye was soy flour. 
I had gone round and round in my head on how I could banish the kasha with soybeans. Do I just throw it at the demon? Now with soy flour, I could wet it a bit and dump it on the demon, and it should stick to it. Sometimes a plan comes together in unexpected ways. I like the way that sounds. That would be my new mantra. I bought several bags and headed back to the 8th Avenue house. I found the house as we left it, except all the lights were off. I could have sworn when we flew out of there last night that we left all the lights on. I hauled the soy flour and buster to the front door. I was armed with only my knowledge, experience, and wits. So suffice it to say, I was not well armed. I tried the door. It was unlocked. I opened the door and flipped the light switch. I'll give you two guesses to whether the lights worked or not. And a first guess, no count. Good thing I brought my flashlight headband. Yes, it made me look like a doofus, but it kept my hands free to carry stuff and defend myself. I left Buster on the front porch for now and proceeded into the house. I entered the kitchen. I could see some remains of cinnamon still left, but all the pieces of flesh were gone. I found one of Kavika's empty toy buckets and poured the soy flour into it, then added some water and mixed it to make a paste-like substance. I went back to the front porch and brought Buster into the kitchen, pulled him gently from the bag and left him where cinnamon had been. I looked at my phone. It was 9 p.m. I grabbed the bucket of soy paste, sat at the kitchen table, and waited for the demon to take the bait. I must have dozed off from lack of sleep the night before. I woke up with a jolt and saw it was 3.45 a.m. I was sure some sound or movement woke me. I scanned the kitchen for any signs of activity. As my eyes slowly adjusted from sleep to wakefulness, I saw motion on the kitchen floor a few feet in front of me. A small boy with his back to me. It was the sound rather than the sight of what he was doing that sent chills down my spine. A sound of flesh being ripped apart and bones being broken in pieces. I jumped up and instinctively backed towards the kitchen door, away from the Kashi demon. Impending dread had overcome my purpose for the moment. The demon heard me and slowly turned its head towards me. Sometimes, your imagination gets the better of you, and the reality is not nearly as bad as you imagine. This was not one of those times. The creature's face was a mass of decayed skin that slowly fell off, leaving visible patches of bone and cartilage. It had black sockets where its eyes should have been. Large fangs protruded from its gaping mouth, which dripped blood and chunks of flesh from Buster. My senses told me to run, but my legs froze on me as if I were glued to this spot. The demon turned fully towards me and stood up on its legs, which bent in an unnatural backwards angle, as if it were an animal. It shambled slowly toward me. Its arms were longer than normal human proportions such that it dragged itself across the floor in a gorilla-like motion as it moved. 
portions of its skin flaked off as it half crawled, half walked across the floor. It seemed to sense me by sound and smell. Its head turned left and right as it sniffed the air for my scent. Bits of flesh, bone, and blood dripped from its mouth as it opened and closed in a snapping motion. I willed myself out of my paralysis when the smell of rot and decay penetrated my senses. Imagine the smell of skunk spray, rotten meat, bad breath, swamp water, rotten eggs, and the odor from a men's locker room all mixed together. This was ten times worse. I had to stick to the plan, but I left the damn soy paste on the kitchen table when I panicked. The demon was now between me and the table and closing on me fast. I had just one chance to come out of this in one piece. The kasha moved purposefully but slowly towards me. I calculated that I could jump past it and reach the table just in time to get to the soy paste. Unfortunately, I forgot to account for the fact that I was old and fat before I started my jump. I didn't get nearly as much air as I thought I would and landed right on top of the demon. Right the frick on top of it. The demon howled a blood-curling scream in what must have been an expression of pain as I lost my balance and rolled over it with my full weight, crushing it under my fat ass. I rolled past it in the direction of the kitchen table with the grace of a drunk gazelle and got up to my feet as quickly as possible in case it was behind me about to rip me to shreds. To my surprise, it laid flat on the floor, unmoving. I turned on my headband flashlight to get a better look. The demon was a mass of dried flaking skin, blood, and some white thick liquid-like substance which I had no idea where that came from. I approached carefully. It did not move. Did I crush it to death? Was the secret to defeating demons just to smash it with my big fat nocole? I got closer to it to see if it was breathing, which was not a good idea, since I don't remember if it breathed at all to begin with. The demon suddenly grabbed my foot with its gorilla-like arms and pulled me off balance. Sidebar. I should have known it was faking. I swatted many a cockroach just to have it fly in my face when I go to dispose of it. Anyways, I fell on my back and hit my head against the floor with said stars flying from my vision. I tried to force my body to get up, but it would have none of that. Lying flat on the floor waiting to be eaten by a demon was just fine with it. I felt the weight of the demon crawling across my legs. Towards my head, I knew if it reached my head, it would be a most unpleasant experience. I looked up and saw that the kitchen table was close by. The tablecloth dangled just out of my reach. I stretched my arms out to close the distance as the demon crawled over my torso. With its weight on me, I couldn't move an inch further, but it was enough to grab the tablecloth between my index and middle fingers. 
The demon reached my chest. I could barely breathe with its weight on me. It reared up on its knees with its mouth open, dripping that white substance which burned me as it trickled over my chest. The pain, along with the putrid smell of death and rot, was almost too much to handle. I was about to pass out as I pulled the tablecloth as hard as I could. It slid off the table, pulling the bucket holding the soy paste along with it, which fell right on top of the demon as it bore down to take a bite out of my face. The demon screamed in agony as the soy paste fell and splattered all over its head. It fell backwards off me and started writhing on the ground. Crawled away from it and watched in fascinated horror as smoke poured from the demon's every opening as it thrashed on the ground. It screamed one last scream as the smoke cleared, and all that was left was a puddle of disgusting black matter. I'm guessing it was banished back to hell or wherever it came from, and I hope it stays there. I couldn't hold my dinner down anymore. I turned and threw up all over the kitchen floor and splattered the kitchen cabinets for good measure. I managed to get some strength back in my legs, pull myself up and got the hell out of there. I slid into my car and drove home as the sun rose. I was just glad to be able to see another day. Epilogue. It's been three days since my encounter with the Kasha at the 8th Avenue house. Kehal found another place to live. I deferred her fee for now so they could cover their first month's rent. I know, I gotta pay rent too, but I felt for them. Besides, I can still sell my body in Hotel Street to make the rent. Ha, that's just one joke for you old timers. Anyways, I attempted to track down the landlord by looking through the county property records it was owned by a company named Intep LLC, based in San Francisco. Was this some kind of tech company? Meanwhile, the house has been cleaned up and put back on the market for rent by Intep without any fanfare. A local crew hired by them cleaned up the place overnight. All the evidence has disappeared. There was no indication anything unusual occurred there at all. I guess the crew were paid to keep quiet as they have not returned any of my calls. This Intep LLC called for further investigation, but for now, another case has been closed. I'm Harry Wong PI. Aloha Malama Pono and Ahui Ho. You have been listening to Paranormal Investigations Hawaii from the case files of Harry Wong, Paranormal Investigator, a fictional podcast.